Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. The story we look at today has to do with taking a serious look at your life. And I just have to be upfront with you and say what we do today may be difficult for you. Uh, You may not like it. Uh, I don't like it myself sometimes. In the story we look at today, we see an aspect of interacting with Jesus that often is quite painful. It has to do with facing the truth about yourself and your life. You may be living in hiding. You may have secrets. So today I want to ask you to examine your life. If you're going to open your life to Jesus, if you're going to come face to face with Jesus, you must also come face to face with the truth about yourself. You can only know, uh, truly know Jesus if you're willing to face truth. Because Jesus always speaks truth. He always comes in truth. And facing truth almost always involves pain. And so I want to ask you to make a commitment today. Uh, Will you, as best you can, face the truth about yourself? Will you face the truth that you generally try to avoid? I don't know what area of life that will involve for you. Uh, For for the guy in the story that we're going to read, uh, it was primarily financial. Uh, He had to deal with greed. For you, it may be something else. It may be relational. It may be an issue of integrity. It may be some bad habit that you deal with. It may be, uh, it may involve drugs or alcohol or sexuality. It may involve some uh, secret sin that no other human being on earth knows about. Today, we're going to do a little surgery and it's going to be painful, uh, but it could be the most necessary thing we need for the health of our souls. All right, let's look at Luke. 19, 1 to 10, Luke is speaking here about Jesus. This is what he says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, let me start with an occupational question for some context here. Uh, Think about when you were a kid, uh, when you would dream about what you might do vocationally when you grew up. Uh, Do you remember wanting to be a fireman or a policeman or uh, something where there was Uh, rescuing or protection involved. Or maybe you wanted to be an artist or an actor or a singer or a writer, uh, some artistic expression. Or maybe you wanted to be a doctor or a nurse or a therapist or something in the healing profession. 
When I was a kid, I don't remember ever hearing someone say, when I grow up, I want to be a tax collector. I want to work for the IRS. Uh, tax collectors have never been popular in any society. In Israel, tax collectors were a separate class of people. Uh, and I need to take a few moments to explain this. If you don't understand what it meant to be a tax collector, you'll never get this story. In Israel, there were certain vocations that carried a social stigma with them. Uh, they were called despised trades. No devout Jewish person would engage in any of them. Uh, religious leaders would make lists of these despised trades and warn people not to engage in them. Some of these lists have survived for a couple thousand years now. Uh, one list has uh, physicians and butchers at the bottom of the list. And these were despised jobs because they were tempted to cater to the rich and to be unfair to the poor. Some occupations are listed not because they're dishonorable, but because they're just gross. Uh, they involve disgusting tasks. Uh, one list has on it uh, dung collectors. Uh, there were a few professions that were not just unpleasant, but were actually considered immoral. Uh, people who practiced these were not just distasteful, uh, they were to be shunned as immoral people. Uh, people who gamble with dice and people that were involved in lending were on these lists because it was understood that they would exploit the poor. Now, toward the bottom, the very bottom of all of these lists were tax collectors. And you have to try to imagine how deeply tax collectors were despised in Jesus' day. As you may know, Israel was occupied by Rome, so it was not a free nation. Uh, Rome's primary interest in the countries they ruled over was how much money they could get out of them. Uh, they had to support their armies and their Romans' roads and so on, and their interest was in getting as much money out of these countries as they could. And they found it was easier to collect money with native tax collectors than with Roman tax collectors. And so they would hire Israelites to be their tax collectors. And it worked kind of like this. They would have Israelites bid for the right to be a tax collector for a particular region. Whoever had the highest bid would get the job. Someone might say, I think I could get $100 million from the East Bay area of San Francisco. And if that was the highest bid, he would get the job. Tax collectors would collect as much money as they could. Uh, they would give to Rome whatever they had bid, and then they would keep whatever was left over for themselves. The Romans set up this system to create highly motivated tax collectors. Uh, they fought for every penny they could. And they knew they, if they didn't collect more than they bid, they would get no profit. So tax collectors were despised as traitors who sold out their brothers and sisters. They sold out the people of God to Rome for a profit. And they were not just traitors. It was assumed that any tax collector was guilty of massive dishonesty. Tax collectors were not only hated, they were deprived of their political and civil, civil rights. I mean, they could not serve as a witness in the courts. Uh, they were not allowed to serve as judges or as elders. Uh, to get a sense of what it meant to be a tax collector and how people uh, felt about tax collectors, I want you to just think for a moment in terms of the most despised categories in our society. Assassins, uh, drug dealers, uh, corrupt business leaders, people who want to steal your identity or exploit little children. I mean, you have to put it in these categories to understand the story.
An obvious question is, what would make Zacchaeus be willing to enter a profession that would create such hatred and hostility and isolation for him? Uh, and I have an idea. Uh, this, is, this is just an idea. Uh, it's not necessarily true. It's just a guess. But when you read through the story, you realize Zacchaeus had one physical characteristic prominent enough for Luke to write about. Uh, for a man to be considered attractive generally, He's supposed to have three attributes. Uh, he's supposed to be handsome, dark, and what's the other one? He's supposed to be tall. If you grew up in the church and you sang the song about Zacchaeus, you know that he was a wee little man. Uh, he was the runt of the litter. Uh, kids can be very cruel in the way they treat people who are different, especially those who look different or are small. And it may be that Zacchaeus decided he would show everyone and become a big man in the only way he knew how. Maybe money became the guiding force in his life. In any event, he became a tax collector and not just an ordinary tax collector, he was good at it. Luke tells us that he was the chief tax collector. That is, he had other tax collectors working for him and was over a wide geographical area. Uh, he was rich and it's fair to assume that he was thoroughly corrupt and dishonest. He had given up on society, on friendship, on uh, moral decency and integrity. Uh, he was betting everything he had that affluence, wealth, and possessions uh, were what would give meaning and fulfillment to his life. He bet everything on that, but it wasn't working. There was a hole in his heart that money could not fill. And then he hears Jesus is coming to Jericho. There's something about Jesus that intrigues Zacchaeus, and it's not hard at all to figure out what that was. Uh, I want you to see another passage in Luke 5. Uh, this is a pretty clear reason why Zacchaeus would have been intrigued by Jesus. The context of Luke 5 is Jesus just healed the paralytic that we looked at a couple weeks ago. This is what Luke says in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Very often, tax collectors would be at booths on roadways or near bridges. They would collect tolls from people that were transporting merchandise. So Jesus comes to the tax booth and says to Levi, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Now, two remarkable things happen here. One, Jesus approaches a tax collector and invites him to be part of his group. The other is the tax collector gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. Verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice those two expressions, tax collectors and sinners are two synonyms in their mind. To be a tax collector was to be a sinner. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so now back to Luke 19. Word about something like this gets around. I mean, this is not the kind of thing people would keep quiet about. Like, have you heard about this religious leader, Jesus, who goes to parties for tax collectors? I mean, it's like this great moral and religious teacher 
going to parties for the most despised segments of society, you know, hanging out with drug addicts and prostitutes and those who exploit children. I mean, have you heard? I mean, one of his disciples is actually a former tax collector himself. Zacchaeus wants to see this moral teacher and religious leader who hangs around with people like him. What Zacchaeus doesn't realize, but is about to find out, is coming face-to-face with Jesus means Zacchaeus is going to have to come face-to-face with the truth about his own life. And we'll look at that a little bit more in just a moment. If you are a Christ follower, it's easy to hear a story like this and think, but that's Jesus. Hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners is easy for him. You might believe it's different for you. But if the word were to begin spreading that you are spending time with or even talking to certain people or segments of society, that your career would be canceled and it would ruin your reputation. So you avoid conversations with people that would reflect negatively on you. But a Christ-centered love for others stirs our hearts in a different direction. Andrew was one of Jesus' first disciples, but he never reached the prominence of others like John, James, and Peter. He wasn't much of a leader or public speaker as far as we know. He didn't write any letters in the New Testament and he didn't have the religious education of Apostle Paul. He was just an ordinary, everyday kind of Jesus follower. Andrew is known for something, for bringing others to Jesus, for sharing the truth of Jesus with people he knew and those he didn't. For him, it wasn't about who the person was in front of him, but who they needed to meet. Jesus had forever changed his life, and he wanted everyone to experience the same. Now, Jesus isn't physically present today to walk up to a tree or to your neighbor's house, a co-worker's desk, the woman who is homeless that you pass every day on the way to work, or the person struggling with addiction. But you are, and his spirit is in you. You never know if the glimpse of Jesus they get through you hanging out with the people like them will be exactly what they need to know about him. That is what Come and See is all about. Let's rejoin Pastor Matt as we begin to see the impact of the encounter Zacchaeus has with Jesus. All right, now I want you to picture this scene. Uh, Jesus is coming to Jericho Zacchaeus wants to see him, but there's a crowd. Uh, now, if you're a tax collector, do you think you'd want to hang out, hang out in a crowd? Uh, no. I mean, a tax collector is not a popular guy. People are not likely to make room for you so that you could see. There's probably a fair amount of shoving, pushing, cursing for any tax collector that would be foolish enough to show up. Zacchaeus knows this, but wants to see Jesus. And so he climbs up into a tree to see over the crowd. I think he also climbed up into the tree to get away from the crowd. He probably wanted to hide. So picture what's going on. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And then Luke says in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot. Now put yourself in Zacchaeus' place for a moment. 
He's up in the tree and Jesus is getting closer and closer. Zacchaeus is probably thinking, this was a good idea. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get to see Jesus. He's gonna, I'm going to get a good look at him. I might actually be able to hear a fair, a fair amount of what he has to say. And so Jesus gets closer. All of a sudden, he's not only close, Jesus is standing right beside the tree. And he's not just standing behind the tree, he's also looking up into the tree. There's a whole crowd with hundreds and hundreds of people who see Jesus and they start looking up into the tree, asking each other, you know, what's he looking at? You know, I don't know. It must be some kid up in the tree. And then Jesus says, Zacchaeus. And that one word set off a ripple through the crowd. Imagine how Zacchaeus feels. He thinks he's going to hide in a tree and watch from a safe distance. And all of a sudden, Jesus and everyone gathered there are all looking up at him sitting in the tree. The crowd is probably thinking, he's going to let Zacchaeus have it now. I mean, this is going to be bloody. Finally, a tax collector is going to get what's coming to him. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. It's hard to carry on a serious conversation with someone up in a tree. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it's difficult to have a real heart to heart with someone sitting in a tree. Uh, Jesus says this, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I want to stay at your house or I'd like to stay at your house, although he does want to and he would like to. He says must. Luke wants us to understand by this that there is a necessity to what Jesus is doing and that God is at work behind it. This is the kind of thing Jesus must do in order to reveal the radical nature of the grace of God. I must do this. Jesus says, I want you to imagine something. Imagine this story and this kind of a person in our day today. Imagine a person who all polite and decent people would stay away from. Then imagine Jesus walking up to that person and treating him with courtesy and dignity. And not only that, but asking him to go to his home to sit down and eat with him. I mean, if you can imagine that, then you get some sense of the shock and confusion everyone felt. Well, Zacchaeus comes out of the tree and finally acknowledges the truth. His whole life has been built on greed and dishonesty. Uh, he's sinned against his God and his people. His life has been a miserable waste. Zacchaeus comes out of hiding. You see, the first step in coming face to face with Jesus and experiencing this kind of restoration is you've got to come out of hiding. You have to see how useless it is to try to evade being found out. There's a pattern that's inevitable. Wrongdoing and sin always lead to hiding. It's just a reflexive response of ours. I mean, you could see it in little kids. They do something wrong, they sin, they feel guilt and shame, and their first instinct is to hide and to pretend like they didn't do it. Sin always leads to hiding, and hiding always leads to aloneness. We see it in Zacchaeus. There is this guilt and shame and a deep inability to receive love. When you're hiding, you're unable to authentically receive love. Deep down inside, you know. I mean, even if you're fooling someone and they do or say something nice, uh, what's happening inside of you is you're saying, yes, but if you knew the truth about me, you wouldn't love me. There's this pattern of sin which leads to hiding, aloneness, brokenness, 
and the destruction of community and intimacy. And this burden weighs so heavily on people. How heavy does this kind of burden weigh? I wanna show you something that will hopefully illustrate this. Uh, I have a glass of water uh, that's a little over half full. Uh, think about how heavy this glass of water is. I mean, it's about, I don't know, eight, 10 ounces of water. Does it seem like it's a heavy glass of water? Well, I wanna tell you the weight in this glass of water doesn't really matter. What matters is how long I hold it. I mean, if I hold it for a minute, it's not gonna be a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll probably have an ache in my arm. If I hold it for a day, my arm will begin to feel numb. The weight in the glass doesn't change, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. You see, the secrets we hold onto are kind of like this glass of water. Hold onto them for a day, nothing really happens. Hold onto them longer, and they begin to hurt. Hold on to them long enough and you'll start to feel numb, incapable of vulnerability, integrity, trust, or receiving love. This burden weighs so heavily on people that they will do anything to try to get rid of it, try to get rid of the guilt. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying to you right now. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. I wanna ask you for a moment to imagine that instead of Zacchaeus, it's you in the tree. Imagine that you long to see Jesus. I have to believe that you wouldn't be listening right now if you didn't have at least some longing to be with Jesus. I don't know anyone who would listen to a church service if it wasn't somewhere inside of you. So you long to see him. Yet the truth about you and me is there is a part of us that's afraid to see Jesus because you and I know that our lives don't measure up. Imagine you're in the tree, half hoping Jesus will see you and half hoping he won't. If Jesus were to come along right now and it was you in the tree, the question is, what would Jesus need to talk to you about? What's in your life that you're trying to hide? Will you acknowledge it today? Maybe you'll need to confess it before another person. You'll definitely need to confess it before Jesus, and you'll definitely need to face the truth about yourself. This interaction with Jesus means Zacchaeus must come down out of the tree and admit the truth about his life to Jesus, to himself, and for Zacchaeus to a group of other people that he had wronged and hurt. If you've ever been involved in a recovery program, you know, uh, you know about this, right? You know they have a step that goes like this. Admit to God and to yourself and to another person the exact nature of your wrongdoing. Essentially, ruthlessly face the truth about yourself and stop hiding. A part of the sickness in us is that we're willing to live with huge problems in our lives as long as other people don't find out about them and as long as we can hide them. When I was a kid, my mom always wanted to know that I had clean clothes on before leaving the house. Uh, not just my outer clothes, but also my underclothes, my socks and underwear and things like that, that you don't see. Why did my mom do this? It wasn't so that I would stay warm or because it would promote health and good hygiene. Do you know why she wanted me to wear clean clothes? It was in case I got into an accident. 
My mother wasn't worried about the accident. She just wanted to make sure that when the police came, if I had been maimed, disfigured, or paralyzed, at least they wouldn't think my mom would let me leave home in dirty underwear. I mean, until I got to college, I figured that was the first thing police checked at accidents. You know, it's pretty bad. I'm not sure he's going to live. We better check his underwear to find out what kind of mother he had. Here's the truth about us. We're all sinners. All of us are unrepentant sinners. People who are still trapped by their sin are more concerned with getting caught than getting help. Unrepentant sinners are more concerned with getting caught than getting help. Repentant sinners are more concerned with getting help than getting caught. People in recovery are more concerned with getting help than getting caught. If you'll be really honest about those two decisions, you'll find out a lot about the condition of your soul. Well, Zacchaeus is in the tree. He's carrying this burden around and hiding. Notice the approach Jesus takes. If Jesus was just an ordinary, good, religious teacher, he would say something like, you know, Zacchaeus, if you clean up your life, change professions, pay back uh, all that you owe and straighten your life out, and then I'll come into your house. I can't come now. I mean, I wouldn't come now. Uh, That would look like I'm condoning you, and I can't afford to uh, take that kind of criticism on me. It would ruin my ministry. If you'll clean up your life, then I'll come. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus always leads with grace. Whatever your secret is, you can trust him. Jesus pays a considerable price for leading with grace. Look at verse 7. Now Luke is, he goes out of his way to tell us that this response was widespread and not limited to one or two negative people. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now this remarkable thing happens. Zacchaeus, who has gratefully and joyfully received and welcomed Jesus, now all of a sudden realizes the truth about his life, that his behavior has dishonored Jesus, and this concerns him. In fact, this is intolerable to him. Now he wants more than anything to be connected with Jesus. He doesn't want anything in his life to threaten his intimacy with Jesus. A few moments ago, before Jesus came, his whole life was built on the stuff that he collected. Uh, He was willing to give up his reputation and friendship and uh, decency, being received in respectable people's homes, all of that, so that he could become a wealthy man. All of a sudden, he was ready to give up his wealth, the stuff that he had sacrificed his whole life for, in a second, for the sake of Jesus. For Zacchaeus, being in an intimate relationship with Jesus was suddenly worth the whole world. So he does an extraordinary thing. There is great wisdom here in terms of spiritual development. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He didn't have to do this. Uh, Old Testament law said, if you've cheated someone, you have to pay them back what you took from them with an additional 20%. Zacchaeus goes way beyond that. He says, I will pay back four times the amount. I mean, that's how committed he is to making things right. And then he does another extraordinary thing. He says, in addition to making things right with the people that I've wronged, I want to go way beyond that. I want to replace my old greedy behavior with a new behavior 
of extravagant generosity. In addition to what I'm going to do uh, to give back what I have stolen from people, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. You know, after you do an honest examination of the truth about your life, the next step might be called remove and replace. And the idea here is that I will ask God to remove what it is that I'm doing wrong, remove this sinful habit that is has its hold on me, and then replace it with an opposite virtue. We see this all the time in the New Testament. Uh, For example, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says, put off your old self and put on a new self. Uh, Put off falsehood and replace it with speaking truth. Stop stealing and start sharing with those in need. Uh, Get rid of bitterness and replace it with kindness. Get rid of anger and replace it with forgiveness. Once you've acquired a bad habit, the only way to stop doing it is to start doing something else that's incompatible with it. For instance, if you have a problem with complaining, I mean, it's gonna be very difficult for you to say, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna try hard to stop complaining. Instead, what you need to do is to begin to cultivate the practice of gratitude. If you have a problem with gossip, it's very hard to say, I'm gonna stop gossiping. Instead, you begin to cultivate the practice of affirmation and encouragement. Zacchaeus could have said, I'm still going to collect taxes, but I'll try hard not to be greedy when I get around all that money. He probably would have just ended up being greedy all over again. Instead, he says, I'm so motivated to follow Jesus that not only will I give up my greed, I will cultivate the opposite virtue. I will become an extravagantly generous person. Half of everything I'm going to give away to the poor. The clearest sign of authentic repentance is your desire to set things right. Your number one goal is to set things right, and you'll do whatever it takes. You will pay any price to make things right between you and God and between you and the people you wronged. The people who have not yet reached the point of sincere repentance are people who will continue to experience pain over the wrong they've done. What they're really doing is trying to minimize the damage and pain they feel. They're trying to do damage control. Zacchaeus was so gripped by the opportunity to be close to Jesus that he was willing to pay any price. He was willing to do whatever it took. In fact, he was so consumed by who Jesus was that it became hardly even painful for him. To him, if you put all of his money in one hand and put uh, being connected to and being intimate with Jesus in the other hand, it was just a no-brainer. I mean, he didn't have to go away and think about it. His choice was Jesus. The clearest sign of authentic repentance is not necessarily that it's a deeply emotional thing. Some people have deep, very deep emotional experiences, lots of tears and so on, but when the emotion goes away, there's no change. Other people may not have a deeply emotional experience. They find themselves brought to the point where they say to Jesus with absolute open hearts, I want to do whatever it is. I want to do whatever it takes. There's nothing off limits to you. I will make whatever changes I need to make under the guidance of the Holy Spirit with wise counsel from friends and clear teaching from the scripture. I'll do whatever it is that I need to do so that I can live in intimate connection with you and bring no dishonor to your name. That's what Zacchaeus does. At the end of this passage in verse 9, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. 
The truth about Zacchaeus is he was wretched and despised. He was filled with guilt. His life had been a waste. And as bad as he was, he was only one sincere confession away from intimacy with God. He was as lost as it was possible to be, but he was as close as belief in his heart and confession from his mouth. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're tempted to hide, but I'll tell you this much. No matter how wretched that area of your life may be, and no matter how big it feels to you, you're only one confession away. You're only one prayer away. All right, would you pray with me now, and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, I pray that you would be at work in those listening right now. Maybe there's something they are holding on to, a secret they're holding on to. Maybe it's a sin that they struggle with. Maybe it's a relationship that's so broken, they just can't get out of it. God, I pray that you would give them the strength that they need to bring their secrets and their hiddenness out into the light and to confess it to you and to confess it to another human being that they trust so that they can find this kind of wholeness that you created us for, the same kind of uh, life that Zacchaeus found in Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be disciplined in whatever that, whatever that is that we're dealing with, whatever that secret is, to find an opposite virtue so that we, uh, when we're faced with that temptation again tomorrow, uh, we could put into practice whatever that virtue is and actually do the opposite so that we're not stuck in that sin any longer. God, we're going to need your Holy Spirit. We're going to need your help in our lives. And so I pray that you would go with us, that you would uh, lead and guide us and help us to live this kind of life, just free of all the hiddenness and secrets in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. And uh, we hope to see you on Sunday soon.